0: This morning, we're going to talk about authority. Uh, authority is everywhere. We all fall under authority, not just underneath God's authority, but even practically speaking uh, in our lives. Um, we, we see authority and the idea of it come up in Scripture quite often. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 13 says, all authority, government authorities, are instituted by God. They're placed there by God. Exodus 20, we see honor your father and mother. You know, God gives you mom and dad, so honor that authority. Uh, Jesus would say in John chapter 10, he he says that he is the good shepherd and he uh, has the authority to take up his life or to to lay it down again. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority on heaven on earth has been given to me. And so uh, this idea of authority is is a strong presence, falling under the authority and the lordship of Jesus. At the same time, How do we practically understand authority, and what does that mean for our lives? Now, um, this morning is an awkward sermon, and here's why. Um, This is written from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who uh, I I really, when I went into this series, I didn't know Timothy was about 35. Like, it wasn't like a cute thing I was trying to do, and I got into it, I'm like, oh, I'm 35, and I'll still be in this story, that's weird. Um, But, just kind of played out that way. And so, Paul is writing Timothy, And uh, this is a letter that is affirming Timothy's authority within the church and also is affirming what those attributes of authority should look like and what that means for the church. Now, um, not only is there that aspect so that you can kind of listen to this sermon and now biblically you know where to go to if I'm not being a good pastor or not, you know exactly where to look, which seven verses to throw in my face. Uh, So I'm going to kind of preach to myself for a little bit. But what I also want you to do is place yourself under this text. Because the vast majority of some in in this place have authority of some kind. There's either people that report to you in work, in your home, some kind of responsibility in some way, shape, or form. And I'd ask that you wouldn't just disassociate yourselves from these seven verses, but you'd wade in them with me. Because they've been pretty heavy on me as well as the pastor of this church. Now, um, those of you, let's just talk practical for a second. Um, authority, okay, like in your, your work life. We've all, uh, or maybe not all, but maybe you've had a boss before whose attributes and actions were godly. He was in godly authority and you worked for this kind of a boss. It was when you were sick and he didn't count the, or she didn't count the, uh, the one uh, day against you on your vacation. Um, They affirmed you. They encouraged you. They equipped you in your job. They set you up for success. Um, They didn't micromanage you. They empowered you to be great at what you do. They set up a fun uh, and enjoyable and accountable work environment and you, you thrived within it. And what's so funny is this is just like the last service. There isn't like one person in here looking at me going, yep, that's my life and I'm thinking of my boss. Okay, so let's talk about all of your bosses now the opposite of that, because that's obviously not your reality, okay? So this is maybe going to speak more as the opposite of that kind of a boss, would be the micromanaging boss that you've ever had, maybe an authority. And now some of you are going, okay, yeah, that's, that's exactly my life. Uh, and it's the boss maybe who is toxic in some way, shape or form. His or her personal life makes, it way, makes its way into your work life. And um, there's kind of this dark cloud over the whole work environment. Like I said, they control everything about you. They hover over your cubicle, coffee cup in hand, wanting to know if you got the memo and the TPS reports or whatever it could possibly be that you're supposed to turn in or what you're supposed to do. Oh, and, and this is the best one about really bad authority is this, uh, is that that one time that this one uh, person that you work with, uh, rather than deal with that person, what they do is they just make a blanket policy that then affects everybody. So because Bob, Uh, isn't listening to whatever is company policy, this authority steps in and they just say, hey, guess what? Since we aren't doing X, here's the new policy. When everybody knows, it's this one schmo over here, right? Have you ever experienced that? No one. Okay, all of your lives are great. That's wonderful. I was just talking to myself uh, and it meant a lot to me. So um, that's just what we see, first of all, just in our work lives. And of course, then you have parent to child uh, interactions and a parent with authority over their child and that manifests that kind of authority manifests itself in maybe three different ways one you have the um well nowadays the the, the child that just basically runs the home right so that the parent is just hanging on for your life and it 's what the kid wants and it 's their agenda and uh, mom and dad exist to pay for it all Right. That's one version. Uh, Of course, then there's the toxic, really toxic version of it. And it's it's the dad who holds on to every aspect of his or her, uh, his children's success or failures. And because deep down their identity is so tied up in their child and the success of their child, that's the parent that wigs out at t-ball when Junior misses the throw to first base and he explodes. Because he sees his child as his little trophy, right? And so then that's the kid that then grows up, moves to Seattle, and visits dad every 72 hours, uh, you know, a year. Okay, you just see him three days and then he disappears again, right? Maybe you've seen that kind of an example. Um, then there's another kind of, uh, of, of authority that we see in the home, and that's nowadays is the helicopter parent. I've been reading uh, articles on now helicopter parents who kind of hover... And they make sure that their child never skins their knee, never has any difficulty, never experiences loss or failure. Making sure that their self-esteem is propped up as an authority. Uh, That's how they lead with their child. Of course, this will be the kid that will get run over by the world. They'll put in their first eight-hour workday and they'll be looking for a participation ribbon, right? Where's my trophy? This is real world. You don't get trophies anymore just for showing up, right? That was your entire childhood right uh and so uh that's that kind of authority and so no matter where you're experiencing authority in your work life in your home life in your marriage what what this letter is basically saying is these are the attributes of godly leadership and so since we've been together now for about 10 months i think it's safe to say uh that the the honeymoon period is over I think it ended probably six months ago, let's be honest, maybe even seven, all right? It got pretty real pretty quick, okay? And we all are starting to discover each other's warts and flaws. And so now this is kind of the, uh, the uh, toilet seat down, up or down kind of conversations that we get to start having because now we've, we, you know, things are becoming more and more honest and we're, we're going to do that. So uh, what I want to share with you is even why would we have overseers? Why would God have an overseer over a church? Mind you in scripture, elder, overseer, and pastor is the same thing. So when you see elders in here, it's not like our elders at our church. Scripturally, that's the same thing. Elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds, it's the same thing. Next week, we're going to talk about deacons. That would be a great parallel for our today in pilgrims, elders and directors. But what you see today is a a mandate upon pastors. So why do we have to have those? Well, just in the book of In this letter to Timothy, we see that 10 years after the most prolific missionary pastor ever, the Apostle Paul, leaves, within a decade we've got all kinds of sexual depravity. We've got heresy being taught at the the unbelievable rate and unbelievable level. We have undermining of good and fair and true doctrine left and right. We have gossip that's taken control. And so what we just see, even in this letter, is that if there aren't Men called to be the shepherds and the overseers and the pastors of churches. If left to their own device, it's only a matter of time before there starts to become drift within the church. So let me just say, first of all, before we get to the attributes. What do the actions look like of a pastor? Well, we see 1 Peter 5 in Acts chapter 20. There's basically two things to protect the flock and to feed the flock. To protect the flock and to feed the flock. So, number one, um, to protect the flock. In other words, uh, false doctrine—the um, kind of things that are said within culture. What what's the latest challenges of culture against the church? How do you protect the hearts and minds of those who worship here? Let's say at Pilgrim. Next is feed the flock. So, Saturday, Emerson, I walk inside. Emerson walks up to me. Happy birthday, Daddy. Oh, you just melted my heart. I love you. Gave her a big hug. She walks off. Two minutes later, happy birthday, daddy. Oh, that was still cute. All right, I love you again, right? And then she pauses the second time, and she looks at me, and she goes, cake? I'm being manipulated by a two-year-old. See, that just hit me right there. Like, wow, this is never going to stop. Okay. And so uh, I said, no, baby, that's tomorrow. Oh, complete meltdown. I realized it was all about the cake. Your birthday is just a means to an end to get cake. That's all it is, okay? That's it. And so, uh, here's the thing. If I give my daughter the option of chicken and green beans and cake, what do you think she's going to pick? Every time. On Mondays is Dodos, okay? That means Shipley Donuts on Mondays. I even have to be careful as she hears this now. She's going to want it now, okay? Every day of the week and twice on Sunday, cake, donuts, candy, chocolate, let's roll, right? And so I have to make the choice, and we have to make the choice, to feed her what is best for her, what will sustain her, what's good for her. It's the same thing with the pastor. Sometimes the truth is encouraging, it feels good. Sometimes the truth is what people need, and it's not necessarily what they want. It doesn't necessarily tickle their ears and make them... Feel all giddy inside about something that's just honest and true about Scripture, and even if we want nothing but the equivalent sometimes in our culture of cake, that's not the calling that's placed on a pastor. So it's to protect and to feed. So if you'll open up your Bibles, if you got that page mark, let's look at verse one, and we're just going to read a little bit and talk. I hope this is helpful to you, and I, we're going to we're going to struggle with some of this together. Verse one: Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Not fun, not easy, not always enjoyable, noble. Can I ask you something? Just this morning, the spiritual leadership that each and every one of you have in your home over your children. Or within your marriage, the authority that God has granted you, or in your business life, do you see it as a noble task? In your work life and in your family, does it establish who's the boss? Or does it point to the cross? I spent three days trying to make that rhyme, think about how to make that work. Who's the boss points to the cross. But it's true, which one is it? Is it a noble task? Let me just say something. I love this church. I love this church, and I love every last person within earshot of my voice. And yes, even those of you that have come into my office and complained, I even love you. Can you believe it? I really do. And that's part of it. It's a noble task. I recognize one of the things that's a shift here at Pilgrim is that a pastor would take responsibility even for our school. I've had people kind of wonder, well, what is that? What is it? Well, it's because biblically I'm responsible for the whole thing. The school is a ministry of the church. You're the pastor. You're the overseer. So let me just tell you that when I die, if I turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to our school and just let the people who come to our school, who, by the way, uh, may not know Jesus, are far from God, are completely disconnected from knowing who Jesus really and truly is, and I just kind of go, oh, that's the school. Can I tell you that when I die, the conversation will go like this? Josh, uh, I, you were baptized, uh, you believed in me, and so you're going to spend eternity with me, okay? But there's just one thing. What's up with the school? How did you turn your back on so many people? How could you do that? And, that, and that's what, what, you know, what won't work will be me going, hey, hang on, Jesus, you just don't understand the Lutheran school system. Uh, Luther, well, you know, Walter, can you come on over here? Can we explain this to this guy? It's not going to work that way. And so what I envision myself Having this conversation with Jesus and him handing me a solid gold ruby encrusted push broom saying you were faithful but because you kind of neglected half your duties here's this broom and for all eternity uh, you get to sweep the streets of gold have fun there's no dirt I don't care you know I, I can just see that would be all eternity I'd be a street sweeper okay that's how I see that playing out and so that's exactly the shift it's a noble task it's over the whole thing and let me just ask you again do you see what God has given you as a noble task? Verse 2. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. I want to talk to you about being able to teach. I always thought I would need 12 to 20 hours to prepare a good sermon. I think I've had five hours, maybe twice this year. If I'm be totally honest with you, this is kind of the bathroom talk with the marriage analogy. I haven't had a Saturday off in probably 10 months. I usually study anywhere from four to six hours on a Saturday. Yesterday being no exception. There's just that much going on here. Does that make sense? There's just that much that needs to happen. But I need to tell you something. I need to confess something to you as your pastor because I did something last week that I will never do at this church ever again. We talked about the role of men and women in the church and we talked about men being overseers. And there was something I was supposed to say and it was in my notes to say it and I glossed right over it. And can I tell you why? It was because last week, I was mentally exhausted, I was emotionally exhausted, and I was spiritually exhausted. And you know what, whenever you're a people pleaser like me, it takes so much to say controversial things. Because whether it's real or not, when I walk up here in my mind, (laughs) in my mind it is, when I say this, some of them are not gonna like me. When I say this, some of them are gonna leave the church. When I say this, Everything's going to fall apart. And then I have, thats real for me. So then I have to put that up against being obedient to God. And I have to tell you, it's one of the first times I laid up. And I'll never do it again. I had a good talk with somebody last night and they said, you know, you preached with conviction last week, but no passion. They said, why'd you do it? I said, I was tired. What do you think you're going to be tired for a while? Yeah. So I guess your only option then is to man up, isn't it? Yep. it's about right. So we were talking about men and women last week. So let's hit a commercial pause, right? For last week, because I didn't say it last week, and I'm going to say it this week, okay? Because God put it on my heart. I wasn't obedient to it, and it's not going to happen again. So we were talking about men and women in the church, okay? And one of the things that I needed to get across to you is what is beginning to happen in our culture is an affront to God's good and right design for men and women, the way that they are supposed to, uh, to work with one another, the way that they're supposed to exist with one another. And what's happening in our culture, by the way, okay, is at first what we put in our culture is that men are just idiots, okay? So you turn on the TV show, maybe one of your favorite shows, and he's always a doofus. He doesn't know what he's doing. He never has anything to offer. He's usually the butt of the joke. And then what culture said was, you know what? Now we don't even need him, actually. We just move the man completely out of the, the you know, out of the, the whole arrangement. By the way, do you know that there's a survey in Great Britain? only two percent of males ages 18 to 24 even uh, feel like they're masculine, like a man. Culture's getting pounded with this, and no one's addressing it, not even the church. So now what we have is now we've pushed the conversation to say, well, two women can lead a home. Well, two men can lead a home. Two women can lead a home, and one can be the leader, and one can be the follower. One can be one man and one woman. Actually, we don't even need to do that anymore. Now we can have a man become a woman, and a woman can become a man. And the woman that became the man can lead the home, and the man that became the woman can now follow and underneath his authority. And so we've just thrown the whole thing out, right? In the name of of whatever for our culture, right? So I want to just take a moment to address the target issue. Do you go to Target? Do you not go to Target? What would Jesus say about going to bathrooms in Target? And sometimes we think that Scripture has nothing to say about any of this stuff, but the truth is God addresses it. You know, let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He said that three times he asked God to take away the thorn in his flesh. Three times. God never took it. He asked them three times. Whatever it was was so severe in the Apostle Paul's life that he was convinced he would be a better disciple, preacher, teacher, missionary. Some think it was a physical ailment. Maybe he was going blind. Some think maybe it was some kind of a pain in his body. Others think that it may have been depression. I mean, if you've been shipwrecked and stripped naked and beat half to a death and run out of cities and lost all your friends, you'd be depressed too. Maybe it was depression. We don't know if it's mental, emotional, physical, whatever it could be. But what the Apostle Paul says at the end is that I learned that God's grace is sufficient even in my brokenness. Why did I say all this? I think God has profound compassion on the transgender community. He does. He absolutely does. But I think Jesus, if he were here today, can I tell you what I think he would say? I think he would say the same thing to our culture today that he said to the Pharisees whenever they're asking him about divorce. Jesus just basically looks at the Pharisees and says, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And then you know what he does? He just drops the mic and walks off. And the disciples go, well, maybe it's not a good idea for us to get married. Jesus never says, no, no, I mean, you know, if you want to. I mean, it may not work out. No, he just says, here it is. This is how I created it. I was there when the whole thing was created. You haven't outsmarted me. You haven't become more innovative than I ever thought you could be. I made you. I created a male and female. That doesn't mean there isn't struggle. It doesn't mean there isn't brokenness. That's what I was supposed to say last week. Sorry. Verse 3. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. And you know what? Let me just stop for a second. Kind of going off script here. Um, Are there things that you need to say in your home? Are there things you need to say to your kids? That are just assumed? That may take some guts heck like that moment for me that may make them angry with you even though it's the truth not given to drunkenness not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money can i just tell you about the quarrelsome part mallory and i we went uh we had to take this class called pastor as counselor (laughs) it's only supposed to be three uh three months long and uh It turned into a whole year for us. We went to counseling for a year. I have a counselor that I still call from time to time. It's like a paid friend. It's great. Whenever you want to talk, he's available. Charge it to my insurance. So let me just tell you, if you have struggles here in this place, if you're having marital issues, this needs to be a place that gets healthy and is willing to seek help. You won't have any judgment from me. In terms of dealing with money, I, we we don't really have any, so we just watch wealth TV. That's that's my whole thing with money. Yeah, okay. Verse four. Oh, and let me just also address the drunkenness. Sometimes, if I uh, if you see me out at an event, I may not always drink that much, if at at all. And I, I'm never really sure who around me is struggling with alcohol, and I don't want to justify it. You know, you ever have that going on? You go to a family gathering. And you got some people around you, but one person maybe is a recovering alcoholic. What choice do you make? Is it worth having a drink that evening? Okay, verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner full of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? My goodness, of all the things that made me uncomfortable... There it is. That's the mother load. Uh, You know, my wife gets the leftovers. I just had a meeting with the Texas district this past week for lunch across the street. He met me. He said, so are you protecting your day off? I said, well, I had some text messages and stuff. I had some emails I had to check up on, and he just looked at me. Actually, he glared at me. And then he didn't say anything, and I was actually thinking, I'd rather you just say something, and then I, I'm not gonna lie. I actually had the thought in my mind, is he about to reach across this table and choke me? Like he really kinda had like this is about to go Chuck Norris, I think. Like this is bad news. I really overstepped the bound. And he just stared at me what seemed like sixty seconds, I don't know. And he said, There is no text message that you can't respond to the next day. You're gonna destroy your marriage. And so can I just tell you, it's something I haven't been doing very well. And so if sometimes you send me an email or a text moving forward and you don't always get one in the evening, a response. It's because I probably gave my wife my phone lately. I've been putting it in her back pocket as soon as I walk in. When I got a vacation coming up last week in July to the first two weeks in August, and we'll try to put in a structure that meets everybody's needs, but I probably need to go off the grid for a little bit. I need to invest in my family. Those of you that are type A working folks here in this room, do you make time for your marriage? Do you make time for your family? Do you make time to just stop? Because I can promise you, there'll be a day when I won't get these anymore. Do you make time for your family? Do you make time for your wife, your husband? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall in disgrace and into the devil's trap. In other words, there's just 101 ways, arrogance, apathy, kind of becoming a celebrity as a pastor, whatever it could possibly be, that causes a man to lose focus as to why God placed him here. What was the, the purpose that he was placed here? And not to lose a reputation amongst non-believers and believers got to stay focused on why you're here that's what he's saying that's number one and that's for each and every one of us in this place what was the mission that god has given us as the church what was the purpose that he gave you as a husband and as a wife what was the purpose that he gave you as maybe an overseer in your own right okay in your business for those people that are, are are under your care do they see the boss, or do they see the cross? Which one is it? What's happening there? For the people that look up to you in your school, that they sent someone who's kind and full of grace, who's kind and compassionate? What is it? Are you focused? Now, I don't know about you, but um, I felt incredibly condemned under this text <laughs> all week, and I'm kind of happy now that it's over, okay? But let me tell you something. Maybe this morning you feel the same way. And can I just remind you that that was the reason that God used his authority to hand his life over. So that you don't just have to live in your mess. That isn't, Jesus loves me, I can keep being a drunk. Jesus loves me, I can keep avoiding my family. Jesus loves me, I can be a workaholic. Jesus loves me so I can be vengeful and evil and mean. No, Jesus loves me so I'm empowered by the gospel to take a new step today to follow him within accordance to his will. And when I fall, God loves me and God, as I hold to the cross and as he calls me to the cross by his grace and his mercy, I'm empowered to take another step. To be the church in my home, to be the leader, spiritual leader in my home and in my marriage, as is the same for you. That's why he died. That's why he gave up the authority and the throne for each and every one of us here this morning.